So now we've got our Bible reading. And the reading this morning comes from Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 26 through to Luke 1.56. The foretelling of the birth of Jesus. So Luke chapter 1, starting at verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favour with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favoured that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfil his promises to her. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, 
remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. Thank you. Good morning. Good to see you all. So, less than two weeks till Christmas. I'm sure that news provokes mixed feelings. <laughs> Christmas can be great fun, very exciting. Presents, food, cousins, but it can be a hard time too. This week I noticed an ABC article titled, Why Some People Are Not In The Mood To Embrace Christmas holiday season. Jamila Rizvi, usually a big fan, is not feeling the Christmas spirit this year. She says, We're supposed to do joy on steroids, but I'm finding it harder this year to muster up the over-the-top joy and excitement. The trauma that you've had over the past two years eventually catches up with you, even when you've tried to outrun it, or in my case, out-sourdoed and outcrafted it. Kate Hoffacker, a fellow Coastie, claims to be a proud Grinch. She said Christmas represents a great strain on people's finances. It's stressful to spend a ridiculous amount of effort, energy and money on a ridiculous number of guests and amount of food. And wouldn't you know it, Omicron has emerged to create a new round of headaches. How are you feeling about it all? Does the thought of Christmas this year fill you with joy or with dread? Or a strange combination of the two? This morning we're looking at Mary's response as she got ready for the very first Christmas. When this story begins, God's people Israel are really struggling. They've been oppressed under foreign rule for hundreds of years. Their own king at the time, Herod, was a cruel monster. Later, we discover that many of the people are sick, many are demon-possessed. They were dark, difficult days for God's people. But finally, as we heard last week, the first signs of the dawn had begun to brighten the darkness. God sent an angel to Zechariah to announce that his wife Elizabeth would have a son in their old age. He would be the fulfillment of ancient promises and he would bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. In our passage for today, it gets even better. The rays of hope break over the horizon and we begin to see the wonder and the magnitude of what God is doing. The angel Gabriel is given another assignment, this time to head to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a young woman called Mary. What a shock for her. Gabriel said, Greetings, you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. 
Well, Mary's first response is complete bewilderment. She was probably still a teenager, a poor nobody from a region with a shameful past. What could God possibly do through her? Chapter 1, verse 30. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favour with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus, which means saviour. Well, Mary's next response is to politely remind the angel, because she knows how babies are made, uh, how can this possibly come about? Through God's supernatural power is the answer. And then Mary says, verse 38, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. That is an extraordinary statement of faith, isn't it? Of trusting God into an unknown, potentially terrifying future. She's young. She's never had a child before. She knows that gossip and shame will come her way as a young unmarried mother. But in contrast to Zechariah, who should have known better, Mary puts her trust in God and she welcomes what is about to happen to her. What does she know about God that makes this trust possible? We're going to hear about that in just a minute. Gabriel also tells Mary about her cousin Elizabeth's miraculous pregnancy. So Mary packs up quickly and heads off to visit Elizabeth. And what I want to do for a while now is to focus in on this beautiful poem. Perhaps it was a song that bubbled out of Mary when she arrived. Christmas Day was about nine months away for Mary. And as she considered what it all meant... The dominant emotion for her was joy. See in verse 46. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour. Mary was looking forward to Christmas. She was overjoyed. And she tells us why. Because the God who brought about Christmas is such a great God. So firstly, Mary rejoices in God's mercy. Verse 50. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. Or verse 54. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever. Mercy is the compassionate treatment of those in distress, especially when it's within one's power to punish or harm them. It's the disposition to forgive. When it's applied to God, it's about not giving us what we deserve as sinners. Mary's very aware that in herself... Among her people, there's no particular reason for God to be kind to them. They failed to keep the law of God. They deserved to be suffering under the oppression of the Romans. And worse, 
But Mary is glad because in spite of all of that, God is merciful. Now, just as an aside, any suggestion that Mary, like Jesus, is sinless and perfect is clearly wrong from this passage. See in verse 47, Mary acknowledges God as her saviour. She too needed to be saved. In verse 48, she speaks of her humble state. Mary didn't just have a humble spirit. She was, in fact, lowly. She was utterly insignificant in the world's eyes. She was an unmarried girl from the back of beyond. Mary knew that in her own strength, she couldn't save a soul. But God, he is worth singing about because he is merciful. Are you someone who knows about your own need for mercy? It can be tough to ask for mercy. It's humiliating. It means acknowledging that we have done the wrong thing. But we have done the wrong thing. Before God, none of us can hold our head up high. We've all insisted on calling the tune in our own lives. We've hurt others. We've suffered the consequences in big and small ways. The good news of Christmas is that God is merciful. He will not hold our confession against us. He is eager to forgive. There is joy in God's mercy. Secondly, Mary rejoices in God's might. Verse 49. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. Or verse 51. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. This is a very basic and important truth about God. He is powerful to achieve what he plans. God's mercy does not mean that he is weak. God is merciful and Mighty, he has the muscle to enforce his mercy. And we see this in the way that Mary speaks about God demonstrating his mercy. Let's pick it up at verse 51. He's performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things but has sent the rich away empty. God brings down the high and mighty in this world, those who lord it over others and think they have it all together. God will judge such people. And God raises up the lowly, the downtrodden, the ones who depend on him. These ones will be rescued. God is able to do this. The most powerful men in history with their armies and their nuclear warheads are like scurrying ants before the living God. One flick of his fingers and they're gone. But the most insignificant, undeserving 
person, even a teenaged girl from Nazareth, can be chosen by God to participate and to rejoice in his salvation. I noticed an article the other day that said that we Aussies, on average, are the 18th richest people group in the world. We're in the top 20, folks. Some of us are struggling, but most of us are enjoying the good life. We live in comfort, we drive nice cars, being hungry is a strange condition that that can be fixed by a stroll to the fridge. Even during a pandemic, we have the privilege of being able to shelter in our homes until the worst has passed us by. But all of that means that we might fit into the proud, ruling, rich group in Mary's song. We might be tempted to cold shoulder the mighty God because we can deal with our own problems. Thank you very much. In fact, our greatest enemies cannot be seen with the human eye. The COVID pandemic has done us a service if it has reminded us of this truth. Especially sin, the devil, death. They are overwhelming to rich and poor alike. Spiritually, we are desperately needy. We need a mighty rescuer. I love this recent tweet from Sam Albury. Come, all you faithless, joyless and defeated. Christmas is for the weary, for the messed up and for the broken. If your life isn't Instagrammable, Christmas is for you. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. The good news of Christmas is that God is merciful and mighty. Thirdly, Mary rejoices in God's faithfulness. Or if you want an M to go with merciful and mighty, God is mindful of his promises. See verse 54. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary knew her Old Testament. She knew that God had made promises long ago to Abraham and his descendants. God said that he would look after Abraham's family. He would bless them. And through them, he would bless every nation on earth. Now, Australia's not mentioned by name in the Bible. But we are one of the nations on earth. So we are included. Those promises were made thousands of years earlier. And here, Mary understands that these ancient promises are about to be fulfilled. God is faithful. He's not forgotten. What he has promised, he will do. It was such a privilege to witness Joel and Sammy's wedding yesterday. They made some big promises to each other. And we prayed that they would be faithful to those promises. That's the foundation of a beautiful relationship of love. Promises 
and faithfulness. And it's a little echo of God's relationship to his people. God is the perfect husband. He has made massive promises to love and care for all who trust him. And he has been faithful over thousands of years. He has kept his promises. That's the foundation for a beautiful relationship of love. Promises made and promises kept. So God is merciful. God is mighty. God is faithful. But there's a vital piece of information I've so far left out. Why are these truths so exciting for Mary as she sings? Because she is rejoicing in God's Messiah. She has been chosen to be the mother of the Messiah. There was the angel's announcement back in verse 31. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Here is the concrete evidence of God's mercy. Although the kings in David's line had failed and fallen and been taken off into exile long before, he was God, bringing life from the ashes, in kindness giving Israel a good king who would search for the lost and bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. Here is the proof of God's power. He breathes life into a virgin's womb. It is humanly, scientifically impossible. But nothing is impossible with God. Here's the famous Psalm 2 talking about this Messiah. Why do the nations conspire and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his Messiah. Let us break their chains, they say, and throw off their fetters. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. And then he rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy hill. This baby will grow up to rule the world. He will crush all opposition to God. He will rescue his own people and gently lead them like a shepherd. No wonder Mary is singing about the power of God. Here is the evidence of God's faithfulness. Back in 2 Samuel chapter 7, God had promised that he would raise up a king in the line of David. And God said, I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he will be my son. Every king since David had died, some in great disgrace. But God had not forgotten his promise. The baby Mary was carrying would be the one. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign 
over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. It can be really hard for us to identify with the kind of excitement and longing that Mary must have felt as she thought about the Messiah. Maybe we get close when we think about world peace sometimes. When I hear the constant news of war and corruption, crime, ruthless competition, sometimes I get an ache in my gut for peace. Do you feel that? Longing for God to step in and do something about it. Now imagine that an angel has just told you that your soon-to-be-born baby will be the one to bring world peace. Mary is filled with joy and praise for her merciful, mighty, faithful God who has sent his Messiah. Here on the coast, I've noticed it's beginning to feel a lot like Christmas. There's a house just around the corner from my place. There's a general feeling of celebration. Some families have started early and they are determined to have a good time. And it's relatively easy to put on a happy face when it's only once a year. It's also easy to get excited when the news is fresh and when the messenger is an angel. So what happened to Mary? Feeling that surge of joy is one thing, but maintaining the joy, that's another thing altogether. So let me take you on a lightning journey through the gospel to find out if Mary managed to maintain her joy. If you've got your Bibles there, come with me over the page to the end of Luke chapter 2. When Jesus was 12... They went as a family to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. And afterwards, Mary and Joseph and all their friends headed for home, but Jesus stayed behind. He was deep in conversation with the leading rabbis at the temple. After three frantic days, his parents tracked him down. Verse 48 of Luke 2. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son! Why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? He asked. Didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Mary was astonished at Jesus' behaviour. She was anxious for his safety. I get it. If you're a parent, you'll know that Sinking feeling when you turn around and realise that little Johnny is not where you last saw him. This world can be a dangerous place, especially for kids. Mary knew who Jesus was, but it didn't stop her worrying for her boy. Or over in Mark chapter 3, when Jesus started his public ministry, he drew such crowds that he couldn't even take time for a meal break. When Mary and his brothers heard about this, they went to attempt an intervention because they said, he's out of his mind. 
Mary wanted to protect Jesus from the demands of doing what he'd come to do. Mary wanted to teach the Messiah how to go about his business. I guess Mary did lose her way a little bit. Her trust in God wobbled. She lost her joy. She was anxious and protective of this son that she loved. Still later in the story, we find out that Mary was filled with anguish, with overwhelming grief as she watched her son die. If you're still in Luke chapter 2, have a look at verse 34 at Simeon's prophecy. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. We know from John's Gospel that Mary watched the crucifixion of Jesus. As the Gentiles tortured him to death and rolled dice for his clothes. On that day, he looked nothing like a king. And I guess on Easter Friday, she was as confused and as grief-stricken as it's possible to be. This song that we've read today must have seemed a distant and painful memory. But three days later... Jesus was back, larger than life, raised, glorified, victorious over our deadliest enemies, over sin and death and the devil. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him and the message was sent out around the world. Luke tells us that after Jesus had ascended into heaven, his little group of followers wandered back to Jerusalem, Acts chapter 1. They all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Mary was part of that group. And there's this lovely verse at the end of Luke's gospel after Jesus had been taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple praising God. So we've come full circle from joy through confusion and unbelief to grief and sorrow and back to joy again. Finally, Mary had come to understand the depths of her own song. God is merciful as he took the punishment that we deserved upon himself in the person of his own son at the cross. God is mighty as he destroyed the powers of darkness that stood opposed to us and triumphed over them in the most surprising way, by the cross. In the cross, God has turned upside down all our preconceptions of wisdom and strength. He has humbled the proud. He has exalted the lowly. God is mindful of his promises. He is faithful. He has rescued his people and placed a son of David on the throne to rule forever. So are you looking forward to Christmas? 
Another article I read this week said, Aussies have built up $240 billion in savings during COVID. And economists expect us to splurge much of it over Christmas. There is a kind of happiness in having new things, in eating and drinking and gathering with friends. Christmas can be fun, but it's short-lived. Christians know a joy that is much deeper than this. If you understand this song of Mary's and the way that it's fulfilled in the death and resurrection of Jesus, if you have accepted that you too are desperately in need of a saviour and that Jesus is the saviour that God has sent, then nothing will be able to dampen your spirits at Christmas. The queues at Kmart, the indigestion on Saturday afternoon, the credit card bill, even, God forbid, another lockdown. None of it will be able to quench your joy or stop streams of praise flowing from your lips. God is merciful. He is mighty. He is faithful. For he has sent his Messiah. That's the best news ever. Perhaps all this is very new for you. I realise there are young adults now in Australia who've grown up without hearing the Christmas story. If you want to find out more, the best place to do is to just keep reading Luke's Gospel. Grab a Bible. I've put a few Luke's Gospels out in the foyer there if you want to grab one of those. Download a Bible app. Keep coming to church. We're going to be working our way through Luke's Gospel in our Sunday sermons. It's life-changing stuff. Christmas and New Year can be a great time to pause and reflect on how life's going. Let me urge you to consider your relationship with God as you reflect. This offer of mercy and forgiveness is time-limited. Jesus the King has been born. The first time he came as a servant in humility and weakness and, in a sense, hidden from the world. When he comes again, it will be in power to judge. The Bible says, Humble yourselves under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Mary knew God's tender care in providing a saviour, the Lord Jesus. She responded as we should, with trust and joy. May we too know God's tender care and the joy that brings as we remember the birth of Jesus this Christmas time. Please join me and we'll pray. Dear Father in heaven, we do thank and praise you for your mercy so undeserved, for your power to do what seems impossible, for your faithfulness to keep your promises in the Lord Jesus. We gladly rest in his salvation. We rejoice that Jesus reigns 
and his kingdom will have no end. Please, we ask that you would work these truths deep down within us, that we might be filled with your joy, no matter what life brings. Please bring honour and glory to your Son amongst us at the lakes this Christmas. And please draw many from our community, our friends and family, to know this joy that only you can give. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.